As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Show's Euro 2020 coverage, day 18. 18, good lord. And soccer is officially ruined for the rest of the summer and possibly the rest of our lives because, yes, it peaked today. We had comedy, chaos and classy Croatia in Copenhagen as Spain gave up a 3-1 lead just to give Alvaro Morata enough time on the field to score a goal and boy did he. Meanwhile in Bucharest, the Swiss impressed and Mbappe messed it up from 12 yards and it was summer, summer, summer time as Switzerland's goalkeeper made the difference in the shootout and we ask how long until Daniel Levy puts in a call to Didier Deschamps for the Spurs job. My name is Ryan Bailey. Joining me today is a man who is the proud inventor of the coffee nap, Taylor Rockwell. Oh, it's the best, man. It's the best. I I think... I, I learned it from someone else even wiser than myself, but it is a staple, especially in these types of tournaments. Drink that cup of coffee, take your 10 to 15 minute nap during halftime, caffeine kicks in right when you're waking back up and you're good to go for the second half. So there's a lot to unpack here, Taylor. Yep. There is the fact that you are <laughs> willing and able to take naps for just 15 minutes in the middle of a game and to mm-hmm. do so, you'll drink a caffeinated beverage. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's a, it's it's the, uh, the, the one-two punch. It helps to... I think I've tried to make this joke before and it never quite comes off. But do you remember, well, have either of you seen the Avengers? Joe, I feel like you've seen the first Avengers. I don't know I about Graham or Ryan. I have, yes. Yes. Uh, yes. Here we go again. Well, <laughs> do, do, you remember, do you remember when he first turns into the Hulk and his line is like, I'm always angry? Well, for me, it's just I'm always tired. And I feel like if I sit still long enough, I will just fall asleep. If, it, if I'm sitting still for like longer than a minute. So really, I can kind of fall asleep at any given moment. The coffee just helps give me that added perk when I wake up. The coffee nap, ladies and gents. Give it a shot while you can. Maybe tomorrow you've got a couple of games, to, a couple of 15-minute periods in which you can try this bizarre thing that Taylor Rockwell has invented. Yeah, it's called Ukraine Sweden. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. Maybe, maybe, maybe do it at the beginning. Anyway, also here is a man who loves extra time when it means he can't get stuff done between games like he had planned to. It's Joe Lowry. <laughs> yeah, I, I had planned a little writing between our, our game one and our game two. That did not happen. But Ryan, I'm even willing to give up my routine for the sake of the soccer. 
Of course you are, Joe, because you're married to the game. You're married to the game. <laughs> but I, 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 I am with you there. This is the first game today uh, in which uh, in which we were <laughs> we were denied the, uh, the the period sort of between two and three Eastern when. Um, yeah, you just have a little hour to yourself and you, you don't drink coffee and you don't have a nap, Joe. <laughs> do, you all, do you all find that you keep, like I keep, I basically have to make a list of stuff I need to get done because if I'm not doing the coffee nap at halftime or in that hour break, I tend to sort of just zone out and then suddenly the other game is starting in five minutes and I haven't yes. moved and haven't done anything. That happens to me a lot. <laughs> it's 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 a weird thing where Ryan, like you saying, eighteen days in, it still feels like it's been several months, and I'm also still aware that like we're not talking about our jobs as coal miners, so I'm not trying to complain too much. But there are some days bleeding into each other, sort of moments. Do you remember when we recorded the previews? Because I don't. Anyway, no. <laughs> here's a man who loves to ruin goals for me in our WhatsApp chat because his European feed seems to be a little bit ahead of mine. It's Graham Rutherford. Well, that's because it's happening over here. I think that's how it works. Is it not? <laughs> we get it before. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's exactly how it works. Darn it. I think you're right. I think you're right. So um, you've, seen the, you've seen the whole tournament now. Who wins, Graham? Uh, not England. Not <laughs> <laughs> A bold one from you there. Yeah. It's, it's actually um, Scotland. And the way that it's going to unfold is going to blow your minds. <laughs> is this a Back to the Future scenario? I know you're a big fan of that movie. <laughs> yes, it is. I, I can got, dream. I, I, was, uh, I got lost on an internet rabbit hole. This is completely apropos of nothing. But uh, in Back to the Future 2, Graham, you're, I believe you're a fan of the franchise. We've discussed this on this podcast. That's correct. Uh, the moment when Marty McFly steps back off the top of Biff, uh, Biff Tannen's building and lands on the DeLorean. Yes. Uh, the theory being that he actually died then. And the only way that um, Dot Brown would know to come and get him was because he died and he came back and saved him. Mind blown? My mind was blown. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, as much as that film can make sense, you know, there are a few plot holes, one of, the, <laughs> one of which being, uh, you know, Time Machine. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that's a fundamental one. Well, there were there were plenty of pop plot holes that are going on in the games today as well. Well tied in, Ryan. Well tied in. This was the uh, most incredible day in Euro history. I would hasten to suggest, gentlemen. I would hasten to suggest that it was better than the entirety of the 2016 uh, tournament combined. Uh, when I sort of pre when we previewed the games yesterday, guys, I was kind of trying to get an answer out of you as to which game will be the least dull to watch and Joe I think I was proven thoroughly wrong with that attitude because we had a pretty wonderful slate of games today oh my goodness we did that own goal from Unai Simon feels like so long ago I thought that was gonna be well it wasn't even a Simon own goal was it? it was a Pedri own goal officially but that that opening goal for Croatia Spain feels like ages ago and it wasn't even the craziest thing really to happen today I mean maybe it was but there were so many other just incredible comebacks and goal swings and extra time in both games and just a ridiculous 180 plus 60 240 minutes plus penalties bit of soccer today holy cow we have a lot to unpack, Joseph. And I think the most amazing thing that happened today was Taylor tweeting out, I've already drawn out my penalty diagram. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to have to elaborate on that, TT. Oh, it's my it's my favorite thing to do with the penalty shootout is to track where the taker takes it, if it goes in, if the goalkeeper dove 
to the right side and any other little things along the way. Like one thing I really enjoyed was Somer using his his wrists that like right when the kicker would start their run up, he would sort of flash one way or the other. And it didn't really dictate which way he was going to dive, but it was just another slight distraction. He definitely does it when Kylian Mbappe ends up missing his. So those types of moments I, I really enjoy in penalty shootouts, but also just to be able to track everything that happened because otherwise I will completely lose it because again, everything is blending together. I was hoping this was just for your records, Tete. You're just like filing them away. Maybe putting oh, yeah. them on microfiche for the ages to hand down <laughs> to your children and their children to show you where uh, Kylian Mbappe did not put his penalty. That, that was the plan. And then once again, I forgot the difference between microfilm and microfiche. So I was stymied there. So we're sort of at an impasse. Dr. Hibbert wouldn't make that mistake. That's for sure, Taylor. Hey, he wouldn't. Awesome. Joe, I'm assuming you can weigh in on this one. Oh, yes, I know what microfiche is. I'm not looking it up right now. <laughs> oh, let's try and make some references. That Wait, Brian, I'm not done yet. I'm not done. Joe, Joe, do you know what a card catalog is? I want to just want to go back through and see where, where we can kind of catch you. Mm, nope. <laughs> oh, my God. Never mind. Now, I'd, now I'm just sad. Ryan, let's move on. But he did know what an encyclopedia was, unlike Jack Grealish, yes, right? Yes, yes. You know, yeah, I have yeah. culture, Ryan. I have culture. <laughs> let's, let, let's soccer, shall we? Let's, let's do the soccer. <laughs> let's do some soccer. We've wasted a lot, plenty of time here. We've got a lot to get through. Let's start off with Croatia against Spain. This one finishing 5-3 to Spain. Spain turning on the goals once again in this one. First day of Wimbledon, by the way, today. And we almost got a tennis score out of this one. Uh, this is the third consecutive Euros in which these two teams have faced each other. Spain won when they played in 2012. Croatia won in 2016. Back to Spain's turn again. So if you're a betting person and they play each other in the next year, as you know where to place your money. Um, this one was, uh, the Croatian fans seem to be outnumbering the Spanish fans in Parkin and Copenhagen here. Um, Taylor, I'll come to you first. There was a theme today. What's the theme vibes defending? <laughs> I, I I would say in the like near the middle and end of games, yes. Early on in both games, I felt like there were very specific defensive plans, and in this game, I thought Croatia did a very smart thing right away. I think they had uh, Brozovic, Kovacic, and Modric just sitting on that the Spanish three in the center of midfield. But then I thought Croatia had their their wingers dropping in very readily and very immediately, and so that negated the sort of fullback threat, the attacking fullback threat, and the wide threat from Spain, and it really did sort of stymie things, and that's where I think there was a bit of an impasse for a while, and I think it's also where we started to get a, a few more of the uh, interesting openings that did happen in this one. Uh, it doesn't necessarily explain the opening goal in the Spain-Croatia game because Unai Simon did Unai Simon things, uh, but I thought that like the opening part was pretty cagey, and it was overall for both games. I think I, I at three different points like started to write my like okay, so here's the way this game is going to play out. Like I thought when Croatia went ahead, it was going to be Croatia frustrating Spain and Spain passing and passing and passing. Then I thought Spain were definitely going to win it. Then suddenly Croatia came back, and it was all kind of wide open. And I think yeah, near the end we definitely got some more some more vibes approach to defending for sure. Uh, certainly some vibes on that opening goal, as you mentioned there, Tete. <laughs> um, I looked through your microfiche records and you, you had uh, transcribed uh, the previews mm -hmm. uh, where I believe Graham Rudson said, it feels like he's got a big mistake in him, referring to Anais Simon. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if there's a mistake in him and De Gea ends up being the starter. Graham, you got most of that sentence right. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, if anyone had, had watched Inai Simon in some of the warm-up matches and also some of the games that he'd played for Athletic Club last season, 
they would have been able to see that coming. And and uh, Spain played a warm up game against Portugal where Simon basically um, threatened to do what he did in this game against Croatia at least twice, maybe three times. Um, so mm-hmm. it, it, it had been coming. And yes, he is a bit of a nightmare playing out from the back. He's in that team because Luis Enrique likes him playing out from the back more than De Gea. I'm, I mean, I know De Gea is, is not exactly you know Manuel Neuer or, or um, Ederson playing out from the back, but I'm not sure I buy into the idea that Unai Simon is better playing out from the back, as demonstrated by what happened here. Yeah, Pedri being given the old own goal there, by the way, which seems kind of harsh. But uh, up to Jose noticing, uh, noting that Unai Simon has made six errors leading to goals uh, for Athletic Club in La Liga last season, more than any other player in the top five European leagues this campaign. So you were certainly on to something there, Graham. Joe, what was your thoughts about Croatia's approach in this one? It seemed like that opening goal certainly re-energised them. It got them going a little bit after, a, 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 I don't want to call it a sluggish opening 20 minutes, but they certainly got going after that point. And yeah, where, where did they go from there? I think it was pretty consistent, to be honest, from before the first goal that they quote-unquote score to after that. They, Taylor, I think you described it really well with the midfield three for Croatia, Brozovic, Modric, and Kovacic being very man-oriented. And really the entire defensive shape for Croatia was pretty man-oriented, meaning that when a player's in your, in your general vicinity, you step to them, you mark them until they leave your area, and then you might pass them along to a defender or to a winger or, or whatever. And so it was this 4-5-1 defensive block, but it was super fluid because of players moving around and tracking Spain players. So it occasionally looked like a 4-4-2 with Modric stepping forward. Other times it was a 5-4-1 or a 6-3-1 like we saw with Portugal mm-hmm. throughout this tournament so far. And it was very fluid. And in a lot of ways that made Spain's life difficult. And Spain had a, a number of turnovers more than normal for them because they were struggling to find passing options because a Croatian player was always breathing right down their neck, which is fair play to Croatia. That's a, that's a well-executed approach. But also at the same time, we saw this on, a, on at least the first goal for Spain. Spain managed to use Croatia's man-oriented defending to their own advantage, meaning that they, they would pull a defender out. They would pull a marker out knowing that they'd be tracking the Spanish player. Maybe it's Koke who can pull Kovacic out and then someone can run in behind. Sarabia did a great job in this game having some direct runs. That's where the first goal kind of comes from. Sarabia has the ball on the right side. Koke draws Brozovic out. He makes a run into that space. Sarabia does. And then the ball goes over to the left and some chaos happens and Sarabia eventually Mm -hmm. scores. But Spain did do a good job to their credit after having some turnovers and and even in spite of some of the the offensive mistakes, they were able to pull Croatia apart a bit. And I kind of thought they were going to cruise to a 3-1 lead, let's just say. And then that didn't Mm -hmm. end up happening for a number of different reasons. But we could certainly see the tactical approach from both of these teams from almost the start of this game. Yeah, and I think I think the French adjustment as well, especially in the second half, that I thought really did make the difference and did give them that 3-1 lead, albeit somewhat briefly, uh, was that they essentially stopped trying to just possess the ball through the middle and use those little triangles to try to pull Croatia out and then pass it through and, and get a goal. I think, Joe, to your point, the kind of fluidity of the man-marking system frustrated, and so what Luis Enrique did I thought was pretty pretty smart in its simplicity it was he sent the wingers very wide he sent one of his fullbacks more central and so at times they were almost in a 2-3-2-3 attacking shape but that had the effect of still having numbers clogging the middle so if Croatia did try to counterattack, they basically ran into numbers but it also meant that they did have to 
instead of being sort of tight and central and narrow, they had to spread out a little bit more because they couldn't afford for those gaps out wide to open up. And when they did uh, step a little bit too slowly out wide, that's when the crosses came in and that's where the goals came from. And then other times when they were trying to mark, you then had openings through the middle that created opportunities for Spain, including one of the goals. So I think it was good adjustments from Luis Enrique. And even like the third goal, I think, comes from right after Pau Torres, like for maybe a couple minutes after he comes on, he plays that big crossfield ball. And I think it's another example of Luis Enrique getting his adjustments correct and also his substitutions correct. Um, Graham, this is the second game running where Spain have scored five goals now. And that seems quite a distance uh, away from the Spain team we saw show up at this tournament. What have we seen from Evolution? What are they doing differently here that they, they weren't quite doing at the start? Well, about a week ago, we were complaining about Spain being boring, <laughs> and that seems a long time ago. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. It, it, something has something has changed. I I mean, I know this is quite an intangible thing, but there's been a lot of talk in the Spanish press about just about Luis Enrique kind of conceding a little bit of control in favour of, as Joe was mentioning there with Sarabia in particular, he embodies this maybe better than anyone else, but just a little bit more direct running, um, a little bit more cutting edge. Ferran Torres is maybe the fact that he starts this match as well as maybe a a sign of that as well. Danny Olmo, he was starting the tournament. So initially, you know, you had uh, had Danny Olmo playing playing in this team. You had Rodri in the the centre of midfield as well. And it just feels like, Enrique has has conceded, as I say, some of that control, and he is quite stubborn, Luis Enrique, and I've been surprised that he's been willing to do that. Some of his stubbornness is still showing through in the fact that he continues to start Alvaro Morata, despite the fact that the Spanish press just will not leave Alvaro Morata alone, and obviously he um, has not had the best of tournaments. Brilliant finish, though, for for the, the fourth goal, I think it is the one he scored here. So there is still some stubbornness in some of his selections, but the fact he has changed... I mean, Marcus Llorente is now completely out of this team, when before the tournament it seemed like he was going to be a, a really um, key player for Spain, um, and as Pelicueta, an actual right-back, is, is, is playing in, the, in, this, in this side now. So... I don't think people expected Luis Enrique to make so many changes, or at least as many as he had in this tournament, and they are paying off um, with every game that that Spain play. And I I don't disagree with any of that, Graham. I think especially with the personnel changes, you're really smart to highlight some of those things. I'll just say as far as Spain's evolution, I, I think there's a good chunk of it, maybe even the majority of it, that has to do with the opposition. Right. If we think about the first game in this tournament for Spain against Sweden, how much more compact were Sweden than Croatia? A lot. They were a lot more compact, right? They didn't venture as far forward nearly as often as Croatia did. In the second half, Croatia were pressing. They were looking to get back in this game, and and Spain was able to play through some of that pressure, and other times they weren't. But part of what Spain, I think, is showing is they're able to take advantage of teams that aren't quite as compact defensively, and I think that worked out for them very well today. Yeah, and I think even in that Sweden game, he starts Llorente and Ferran Torres on that right-hand side, and I think learns quickly that against a team like Sweden, maybe the the directness and the kind of verticality isn't going to help. But then in this one, I would say he kind of learns and it evolves and he finds the balance of having, as Graham said, Espelicueta back there to be the sort of stay-at-home defender who can get forward and can score a goal, uh, but is going to be a more consistent defender than a central midfielder slash occasional winger turned fullback. But then that 
does allow Ferran Torres to make those runs to be aggressive in what he's trying to do. And I thought that that was a smart adjustment. I honestly think him sticking with Alvaro Morata is, is very smart as well. I kind of don't even think it's, it's stubbornness because... When we're on the outside, and the media certainly is, it's easy to sort of say, like, oh, this guy missed, this is good enough, why not try this, why not try this? And I honestly think we just kind of forget that, like, these are people and that the coach has a relationship with them and a very strong relationship in certain cases. And so I think that's where we get some of the frustration from managers at times when the media wants to talk about a certain thing, and it's just not been on their radar. And I think for Luis Enrique, he has to be aware that there's the criticism of Morata. And I had some moments in this game where I didn't quite understand what he was trying to do and why he can't take some opportunities better. And I think it just comes down to he's the type of striker that like makes really smart runs, gets in really good positions. But if you give him too much time, he thinks a little bit too much and maybe overthinks it. And that goal would be a prime example for me of it's a ball coming in. And I think it's, he switches into, into instinct mode of how do I settle this ball and put myself into a shooting opportunity right away? And then how do I get this shot off when it's still going to be a surprise and he's not taking a touch. He's not trying to cut around the defender. It's just settle and finish. And that's where I think he does well. I think he's also instrumental in the fifth goal. And so I think Luis Enrique, again, getting some things very right uh, at various points in this game. Just, just to, to to clarify, the reason I actually think I would have taken him out is because of the kind of personal aspect when he missed that penalty in the in the game against. Yeah. What game was that? I just I just felt like he he's so low and so uh, so low in confidence that I would have taken him out of the spotlight for a game for the the personal consideration, not not really to lambast him or throw him to throw him mm. to the to the dogs or anything, but. To, to be fair, Morata had a very good game today. He, he scores an excellent goal, but as you highlight there, a lot of his movement and the way he was pulling and, and dragging defenders out of position for Ferran Torres and Sarabia was was excellent. So I think he, he vindicated his selection today. One of the interesting things, Joe, about this game from my perspective was looking how a lot of the best Spanish performances were on their right flank. Ferran Torres, Coque and Azpilicueta thought was, had, had a decent game as well. Is that, Joe, because they shine particularly or because Croatia's left side were left a lot to be desired? I mean, Guardiola obviously having a David Luiz walkabout for, was it the third <laughs> goal? Was it for Torres' goal? I think when he, he's just wildly yeah. out of position. And Kovacic and Rebic not, you know, they both got taken off, I think, didn't they? And so, so was it was it just a case of Spain targeting that flank and them getting the better of it? I think Spain looked more comfortable with some of the direct play that I that I was talking about on their right side. Koke moving well off the ball. And Pedri did some of this in the left central midfield spot. But Koke is a little bit more of a vertical player. And so I, I think that verticality with Sarabia and Torres switching sides at times, but they both had nice effective direct movement, both in possession and in transition on that side. I do think, though, Ryan, you mentioned Guardiola there. I think that's a massive part of this. Remember at the beginning of this show, which already feels like a long time ago, I was talking about that that Unai Simon Pedri thing that led to the opening goal. Yeah, I, I completely forgot about Guardiola tossing a water bottle towards the sideline, being completely out of position to defend that switch from Pau Torres over to Ferran Torres on the right side for Spain. And then Torres just dusting him. It, it, it's ridiculous. It was a very, very poor game from Guardiola. He also uh, isn't in the right spot to head away the ball that comes in for Aspilicueta on Spain's second goal. Just a, a really unfortunate game for him. I feel bad because he's, he's just not up to it today. That was a big part for Spain and being able to take advantage of a weak individual defensive performance is something that good teams do. And Spain did exactly that. 
And I think I'm correct in saying Guardiola is normally a center back, but is being used as a left that's back wh- here. He that's is what we've been told 87 times on the broadcast. Here. So there we go. So, there. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so maybe that's maybe that's part of it. But yes, I thought for a player that I've been pretty hyped about, we definitely saw the youth and inexperience on display. I also think we saw like an interesting thing that doesn't often get talked about at times, and it's, I think, a big part of how Croatia come back into this game, is oftentimes teams get criticized for taking the lead and being aggressive and then sitting off and trying to kill the game and they invite that pressure and they invite that pressure and eventually the opponent finds a way through. Seldom do we talk about the times when the teams don't do that and then get punished. And here I feel like Spain sort of opened it up, got those goals, felt very confident, felt like we can sort of do whatever we want. And by the like mid 80th minute, we're sort of feeling like, ah, we're in cruise control. It's three to one. What's happening in the next game? And sort of didn't close it down, didn't tighten up, left those gaps. And once that second goal happened, even then it didn't feel to me like, okay, we're going to get a Croatia equalizer here. It felt like, ah, that's just that one weird goal that happens sometimes. But then in the dying moments when that ball goes in and it's just, it's just, there's so much space in the Spanish midfield and the Spanish defense. There are huge gaps that there should never be when you're trying to see out a game at that point. It just seemed like they hadn't then turned back into the kind of defensive, boring team that they needed to be in those final few minutes. And maybe that is the criticism of Luis Enrique there, except that they then turn it back on to get the result. And contrasting that with France, I would say, (laughs) I guess, credit back to Luis Enrique. (laughs) That's, this game was a bit like that. I mean, my notes are just a, a complete contradiction all the way through. I've got, hmm, good uh, pressing play from Croatia. Mm-hmm. And then I've got, oh, Croatia, uh, they've, they've been uh, susceptible to the overload there when uh, Azpilicueta's driving through the middle. And then I've got for Spain, you know, their changes, um, their changes, I thought, in the in the second half were a little bit quick fire and meant that their structure was, uh, was disrupted. And then in extra time, I've got, their changes really proved the, the difference in extra time with uh, Oyathabal and uh, Fabian Ruiz and Danny Olmo so th- this game was just a complete contradiction that swung back and forth well yeah Spain definitely were a will they won't they in this game I think you're quite right there Graham but uh, for me this game is epitomises how teams can grow through a tournament and evolve and sort of find their feet through a tournament I mean when we were looking at this game yesterday I thought this is a Croatia team who I've offered very little at the start of this tournament in the group stage and a Spain team who bored us to tears in the first couple games and to see them give us this is wonderful in many ways. They they both forgot how to defend, but still, hey, it's great for us, right? <laughs> it absolutely is. And I just, I want to add one final thing since we haven't really gotten to talk about him, about him too much. This was another just good reminder of how good of a player Luka Modric is and how mm. much he can elevate a team. Because even in, in the, like in extra time, in the dying moments of the second half, he is all over the place and still has the discipline to go charging forward to try to apply pressure. But then, and this is where I think Croatia rem- reminded me of that 2018 Croatia team is that even if he ran forward 20 yards, as soon as the ball went a different way, he sprinted to be in the exact position he needed to be. But as the game goes on and there's maybe some tired legs, there's a little bit less creativity. I saw him dropping between the center backs. I saw him going like wide to a left back spot on occasion. And I saw him constantly demanding the ball and a couple different times getting it and then carrying it forward 30 or 40 yards. And when you have a player like that who can elevate and can sort of alleviate pressure on their own, it's just such a difference maker as you go further in the tournament, which won't be the case for Croatia. But spotlighting how good Luka Modric was on the day, I think is important. And I think it's important to note that teams that can find those one or two performers who can elevate, who can kind of get you through in those difficult moments, that will be a difference maker as we get towards the final. 
Mm. I think Modric is one of those players you need to see live because you can appreciate his movement a lot more when, you know, you can see him the whole time, basically. Um, and I think maybe the commentary team said worse to that effect, like get young players to watch Modric and see what he does because he was he was special and he is special in this Croatia team, as you say, Tay-Tay. But Croatia, get him to MLS, man. Let's get him to MLS. He's about. It's about that time. It's about that time. Maybe Taylor. Maybe Nick. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're on schedule for that. <laughs> Croatia against Spain. That one was Spain going through to the quarterfinals, where they will face front. Wait, Switzerland. <laughs> More on that after the break. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, we have returned. Uh, Listener, I need to tell you that Taylor Rockwell has sent through a picture of his penalty diagrams. Um, Taylor, it's very neat, very organized. It looks like um, your murder spree is either happened or it's coming soon. (laughs) Hey, you got you got to keep it organized, man. You got to keep it organized. I'm excited to have the, all of my notes in one location. Normally, it's in various pieces of paper flung around the room uh, that end up just sort of all over the place. So at least it's in one space. And when the police uh, do need evidence evidence against me, they'll be like easy to find. Well, it is a work of art. I'd like to see your penalty diagrams in a gallery one day, Tate. I am noticing Thanks, on the France goal, there's a little X. There's there's four circles, and there's a little X where mm. Kylian Mbappe did not put his ball in the back of the net. France uh, against Switzerland was 3-3 after extra time, but uh, of course, um, France faltering from 12 yards. Uh, This was not the uh, result that we necessarily expected, Taylor. Your opening thoughts on France here, it seemed like the game really changed. They started off with three at the back and uh, and changed things up at halftime. I mean, it's very similar to what we've already talked about with Croatia, Spain, in my mind, that it was one team having a sort of attacking game plan, the other team doing a very good job of negating that, then the less heralded team finding a goal in the opening 15 to 20 minutes, the much more hyped team opening up, being more attacking, making some adjustments, getting a 3-1 to lead, and then again, not seeing it out, maybe not being as tight as they needed to be, inviting that pressure, leaving those gaps, goals happen, and then we get to extra time, and that again is the difference where it seemed like maybe the cautiousness returned to some extent. Maybe it was just fatigue. Maybe it was tired legs and injuries. Uh, but that would be the kind of difference maker for me between the two. Not just that Spain win and France don't, but also that I think Spain went back to being aggressive in extra time. And I think France were just overly cautious, in my mind at least. Overly cautious to chomp, really? <laughs> I mean, and it like, and it's it's one of those things. It's it's an unf- it's the unfair reality of coaching, I guess. But when he is conservative but pragmatic in 2018 he's praised for getting the result but 
very easily if some of those results don't go a certain way, if a shot doesn't go in and France are knocked out in the quarters of the semis, those questions return. And I think they will hear about how do you not have more attacking gameplay with the, with the talent at his disposal. And I think you're sort of asking uh, a, a horse to change its stripes or whatever it might be. I think I mix some metaphors there, but you get what I'm saying. It's like you can't really expect him to be a fundamentally different manager when the situation requires, but simultaneously that is sort of what's required in the knockout round. So, mm. yeah, I think his life isn't going to get e- any easier until he takes that first job. <laughs> well, let's sympathize with him and those stripy horses, Tay-Tay. Um <laughs> Graham, th- there was quite a turnaround in this game when we had Ricardo Rodriguez missing a penalty or having Hugo Lloris save it. Uh, within three minutes of that, Karim Benzema had scored twice. I haven't had seen that kind of wild turnaround at that tournament since you celebrating um, Scotland getting a 0-0 draw and then seeing the grim reality of Scottish life setting in. Uh, yes, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, it was it was quite an in- incredible turnaround, and and the 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 Benzema. I think it was Ryan y- yourself that messaged in the group chat whether he meant it or not. For me, he totally means it. And it's this is the brilliant... touch for his first goal, right? As he's the ball is uh, is it Mbappe who plays it into him, and he kind yeah. of scrapes it from behind. Yeah. And it looks like it's either the most sublime first touch you've ever seen, or he just caught it when he was looking behind his shoulder and got lucky. I think he totally means that. I think the, the the pass is obviously slightly behind him, and I think he. I mean, look. Obviously, there is. Oh, there's always going to be an element of luck in that mm-hmm. the ball needs to fall in the right place. But he is definitely trying to kind of scoop with the, with the, put by putting one leg behind the other. He's trying to scoop it in front of him, and that's exactly what happens. So sublime bit of skill. Um, I actually had written um, 700 words on how Karim Benzema had given France a different way to play and also how he was giving them new ideas and methods. Um, so if anyone w- um, wants to read that, it'll be on my OnlyFans because it won't be published anywhere else, <laughs> uh, given that France have now completely have crashed and burned out of this tournament. Uh. Um, but yes, yeah, so th- this was another game like I, I struggled to-, to work this this one out a little bit because it seemed like like the the first half was really poor from France. There, there not enough tempo from them off the ball, which I thought was you know we talk about tempo on the ball, but off the ball they were just allowing Switzerland too much easy possession. Taylor, I think you put a screenshot in the group chat of when Switzerland had possession and France yeah. were just so incredibly deep. Almost, I mean Switzerland are on the halfway line and France are almost on the edge of their own box, um, which is which is bizarre. Really, and um, so I think I think that was a real feature of what they got wrong in the first half. Then they switched to the back four after thirty-five minutes after the going with the the, the back three. And initially, that experiment went went well. Then, um, and the, playing Adrian Rabio at left back. Then he's playing in central midfield. Then he's playing at left back again. Um, and it was just all a little bit all over the place. They seemed to get out of it, which was which was typical Deschamps in that it was very passive. Um, and then some individual brilliance from Benzema, and then obviously Paul Pogba. What a strike that was! I thought Paul Pogba had arguably the best game I've ever seen him have, mm-hmm. and so he de- definitely didn't deserve to go to go out of this tournament on on the back of this game. But yeah, it was very passive, and then all of a sudden, some individual brilliance sees France three one up, and you're going, okay, well this is this is uh, par for the course. And then it all just went a bit nuts at the end of the uh, the ninety minutes. 
Uh, Graham, a good reminder there that we should pour one out for people who do live match reports for these two games today because things were very much thrown out of the window. And I, I only read OnlyFans for the articles as well, so I'll be looking at that, yeah. uh, definitely. Um, <laughs> Joe, we'll come to you on, on, on France and the, the way they set up, the way they change things here. You're very enthused about Didier Deschamps and the stuff he's been doing, right? Uh, no, but also I, I want to be clear. None of this is surprising, right? None of how France play should surprise any of us, certainly, and, and likely most people who've seen France play a few times over the last five-plus years, right? This is who they are, and, and Deschamps tweaked the positioning a little bit in his shape. I think my theory is just as a ruse to convince us that he does tactics, but, I mean, really, <laughs> then he just switches it back as a, as a counter-ruse. Maybe, maybe he is just on a higher plane than the rest of us. I don't know. But this France team is exactly who they were all throughout this tournament and really for the past five years, but they have Karim Benzema, who is one of the best, the best number nines in the entire world right now. They don't play aggressive. They don't play quick with the ball. They're not up-tempo. They, they went to the studio coverage here on ESPN, and the first thing that Tim Howard says at halftime is, I'm surprised with, with the lack of creativity from France. I'm surprised at the lack of tempo or something to that effect. And I'm just thinking, this is exactly what we've seen from France over and over mm. and over again. And 98% of the time, 95% of the time, or or just to pull out a random percentage like Taylor did yesterday, France have the talent Mm. to win a game like this. And it really looked like they were going to win this game. They they go back to the back four in the second half. They give out the penalty and it's okay, we're in trouble. But then they do come back and it is those individual moments. They manage to manufacture some transition moments. And that's perfect for them because that's really how they want to attack. They want to attack in space against a disorganized defense. They get their pair of goals and we think, okay, this one's done. France is going to win. They're going to be able to be compact and win this game. And they don't. And if this game plays out, a hundred times, they probably do win this game a lot of the time, certainly the majority of the time. But this was one of the few times where France don't come out on top in the simulation and, and Switzerland do, and it makes for great content. Do you and, I, and, oh, sorry, go ahead, Graham. I was just going to say, and that's 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 the risk. I think this has already been referred to in, the, in this chat, but that's the risk that comes with Deschamps' ball, which is, you know, there's. I think it's in either at the end of the 90 minutes or it might have been an extra time, but Pogba puts a, a chance on a plate for Mbappe with a very typical France pass through the, the, the opposition defence. Mbappe runs onto minute. it and, it, and he kind of, yeah, and he kind of, Mbappe should take it on his right foot, but he he gets his feet mixed up a little bit and kind of lashes it wide in his left foot. If that if that goes in, France are out of here and they're into the quarterfinals. And and, and yeah. but that's the that's the risk that comes with this type of play with France is if they don't get the break of the ball and if those chances don't hap, don't uh, go in, they're in trouble. And so I guess you could say that, that, that in in some way France have always relied on. You know, it's 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 percentage ball, isn't it? You know, there's always an element of of good fortune, or not so much good fortune, but the, they can't afford much bad fortune. And it felt like t- tonight things went against them, and they were made to pay for that. And in and in uh, the World Cup, they did get those sort of favorable moments, like the the penalties that maybe wouldn't have been given, but were with VAR, and that was like sort of a new thing at the time. And I think fundamentally there's a difference and and like joe you like you've phrased it a certain way graham you phrased it a certain way and i think splitting the difference i i do think i was a little bit surprised by this french team even with them doing sort of what we've come to expect because there's pragmatism and then there's passiveness and i think france at times have been very pragmatic in we're up one nil we can kind of do what we need to do to see this one out or we know how we want to play and it's not going to be thrilling but at the end of the day we'll get the one nil win and that's fine But then there's moments, and Graham talked about it with that screenshot I sent, that 
just how much they were sitting off. And you could argue like, yeah, they're there so that you can't have easy crosses from from far up the pitch. It has to be from further back. And maybe those are going to be less threatening. And maybe that's the case. But if you do have those kind of flat five, 40 yards away from the ball or 50 yards away from the ball on occasion, then the Swiss at the very least can just possess and they're always going to have space and they're going to be able to dictate the way that game is played. And when France stopped letting them dictate it, that's when they scored three goals and looked very, very strong. And I think then as extra time came into play, there was just that passiveness again. There was that willingness to let the other team dictate the way things were going to be. And to some extent, I think that's how the Swiss are able to equalize. And I think from there, it's a, look, we don't want to give up anymore. We're not going to be as aggressive in what we were doing. And and just that passiveness, I think, was maybe a little bit more turned up in this tournament. And I do think that is what makes the difference when you are sort of having those fine margins. Gallic shrug tactics there. Um, Taylor, well, Graham mentioned that Paul Pogba had a sensational game mm-hmm. and probably the best he's seen him in. I'm inclined to agree with that. His his deliveries, his passing was just out of this world in this game. Yeah. Just just could you once again tell us why we don't see this Pogba at Man United and why he's why he works better in this kind of scenario? I mean, maybe because he doesn't have a midfield partner that's in Golo Kante. I do think that's probably part of it. But I, I also like. I, I think maybe he just gets the the backing he needs. It reminds me of his Juve days, where he's just sort of a confident. I trust myself. Uh, I'm Keith Hernandez. Paul Pogba is going to try things that maybe a more stay at home, don't ma- like, don't try as many things isn't going to do. Paul Pogba, and even in 2018, he is more defensive. He's in that midfield pivot, but he sits in a lot when the fullbacks step high. And I don't think he was sort of given license to do what he wanted to do. And I think he was at moments in this game. I think it's a big reason why France are able to get back into it. And that goal and that celebration, I feel so bad for him because if, to Graham's point, if Mbappe does score that one and it's another assist for Paul Pogba and they go through, I mean, that is an iconic moment. The way he hits that, the perfection of the strike, but then just knowing it's going in and knowing exactly how to celebrate in the moment. You can practice that and you can... Be mentally prepared for it. You might think you are, but when that ball goes in in that moment, the inclination to just run at full speed and go crazy has to be pretty strong. And to just stand there and nod and back yourself was excellent. I still think even with him hitting the penalty the way he did, it wouldn't be a Paul Pogba performance without one tiny moment and maybe it's a larger moment than tiny but it is him I I don't even remember it I just know that it was mentioned several times it's him losing possession that leads to the third goal for the Swiss the late equalizer for Gavranovic so it wouldn't be a fully consummate Paul Pogba performance without one moment that allows Graham Sunis to attack him Uh, (laughs) but overall I thought it was it was probably yeah the best performance I've seen from him at least since his Juve days Taylor. And, and Taylor, just, sorry, sorry, Ryan, real quick, just to add on that about his passing specifically, one reason why his passing might be better, or at least appears better for France than it does for Manchester United, I saw this tweet by Mike Goodman, and I thought it was absolutely I genius. saw that as well. Yeah, yeah, so he, he tweeted out, Pogba's passing for, for France essentially really makes you appreciate how good club defensive schemes are, right? How compact teams are at the club level, how well drilled they are versus the international game where, yes, you can even play this very compact style. Not that Switzerland really did that, but still the amount of time you have to train and to drill and to prepare to defend in, in the international game is just so much less than it is at the club level, which makes it harder if you're playing for Manchester United to break through Burnley than it does if you're playing with France to break through at Switzerland. Yeah. So you're saying it's not Scott McTominay's fault. 
Uh, no, no. Graham's taken too many strays on this show already. It's not Scott McTominay's fault. I just feel like maybe you were, like, that was Graham doing a very good Joe impression there and trying to steer it away. <laughs> if it had been, like, definitely not Scott McTominay's fault, but maybe Fred's fault, that would have been the giveaway. Right, right, yeah. yeah, nobody on this podcast is allowed to speak ill of my son. So. Nope. <laughs> Wouldn't dream of it, Graham. <laughs> um, Joe, can we, can we go, have a quick note on Switzerland as well? We have to give him credit for taking you know, for, for, for this performance. Quite obviously, um, a, a really good effort from them. Uh, Granit Xhaka had a had a really good game. I mean, someone like Arsenal should pick him up. I thought he was excellent in this one. Um, also, drinking full fat Coke between uh, the full time and the extra time period. Uh, to, I can't to... think of anything worse at that point of a match. What, what, hang Red on. Bull. Red Bull um, is the only thing that would be worse. Yeah, I've got a theory <laughs> here. Was it flat full fat Coke? Because I, I um I, 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 I've run I do some running and. Uh, when you do marathons, a lot of people drink flat Coke because it's so sugary, and you take all the carbonation out of it. It's actually really good for uh, getting your energy up and get you know um, carb huh. replacement, blah blah blah. So maybe Dude. it was flat. They, but uh. the other possibility, Ryan, that you've just made me remember, I have no idea if this is the case, but there is always that slight possibility that he's diabetic. And I think like Jordan Morris has, occasionally has to have those moments where I don't think it's a, a Coke, but there, I forget what it is that he has to eat sometimes, but there are players who are like that where they will have a candy bar nearby if they need that, that little boost of sugar. So maybe it was that, but I like to think he's just, a, he's just a machine who's fueled by Coca-Cola and high fructose corn syrup. <laughs> yeah. Maybe so. I don't- I, do you know that Cristiano Ronaldo has a slice of pizza after every game he plays? That cannot be true. true. It's that cannot be true. true. Which it surprised me because have you ever seen Dodgeball when Ben Stiller's character <laughs> kind of puts the pizza in front of him and like electrocutes yeah. himself so he doesn't eat it? That's how I imagined Ronaldo before I uh, learned that fact. But yeah, apparently that's his post-match routine. I think of him as being uh, Adam Scott's character from Step Brothers who just pulls up his shirt to reveal like oiled abs before saying, <laughs> yeah. I haven't had a carb since 2006. That's what I think of when I think of Ronaldo. I was about to yeah. do that exact quote. Excellent, <laughs> Excellent stuff. Oh, guilty as charged with the stories. I love that guy so much. <laughs> He's wonderful. He's wonderful. He belongs at a Catalina wine mixer, that's for sure. So does Granite Jacket. Um, but oh, I, we've gone slightly off track. I'll, Joe, I think I was going to get you to give some credit to the Swiss here for what they're, what they're about. Yeah, well, first of all, I've learned I'm far more alike to professional soccer players than I ever thought I was uh, <laughs> until a, a moment or two ago. But Switzerland in this game... They come out and play the same way, really, that they have throughout this entire tournament. And I, I really want to give them credit for that, right? I, I talked about after they played and lost to Italy in the group stage about how they didn't really back down from Italy. They continued to press. They tried to play through Italy's pressure. And I, I think I said it was a little naive even, but I appreciate their naivety, their naivete, however you want to say that. In this game... Yes, they did defend at times. They didn't do that exceptionally well necessarily, but they also just played. They come out and they try to set the game's tempo. They they move the ball through midfield, even though France are trying to shadow Xhaka and Freuler. They play the ball out wide with the spaces and just have this very logical, fluid, cohesive shape in the three four th- uh, the three shoot the three four one two, or sometimes it looking like a four at the back, depending on where Zuber is and depending on where Ricardo Rodriguez is on that left side, either as a left back or a left center back. It, it it's a very similar approach to the way they came out in the last group stage game against Turkey, at least formation wise. And they come out and they get the opening goal, which is a great cross and a great header finished by Seferovic. Great cross. 
from Zuber. They almost go 2-0 up after Zuber makes a fantastic run past Pogba and then draws a foul from Pavard in the box, and they don't convert that penalty. Then right when it looks like they're really up against it and they're going home, Seferovic gets another headed goal, very similar to the first one, just on the right side. No one closes down Mbabu, and he, he plays a great ball into the box. And then it's that final goal with great movement. We've already talked, Taylor, at least you mentioned the goal scorer there, Gavranovic. But the movement before that goal, it's these little moments that can make or break a game. Xhaka finds Gavranovic, Gavranovic, but for for Switzerland, they've already run two runners from inside to outside, pulling Rafael Varane and pulling Kimpembe wide, leaving space in for that central runner so Xhaka can play that pass. And then you just beat one man and you get the shot on goal. Not that either one of those last two things are easy, but neither one of those things can happen in the first place if the movement doesn't happen at all. So it just really was a performance full of nice little moments from Switzerland. And then just a, a comprehensive, bold performance from them. They weren't dominant. They didn't get dominated either, though. And I think that's impressive. Impressive indeed. Congratulations to the Swiss on this one. Oh, by the way, one thing I wanted to mention is the penalty shootout. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul Pogba's overly dramatic long pause before he did his little uh, uh, run-up was quite amusing. Really good penalties up until Kylian Mbappe's. And the camera angle, I think we mentioned this in our WhatsApp chat, they had that behind-the-goal camera angle where it's like, they're all definitely going to score. And they did, because you can see like that behind angle. And then they switched to the traditional sideways angle halfway through and then went back again. I was like, come on, TV director, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Goodness me. I think um, in terms of what are you doing here, I have to I have to ask, and like you never want to fault the goalkeeper in the shootout, and I'm not going to. There's no like, there's no Ned Stark butt coming. But I will say for uh, Hugo, Hugo Lloris to save that penalty in regulation, there's always that feeling of like, oh, that's going to be tough for the Swiss to kind of get out of their heads. And instead, in the shootout, he goes the wrong way four out of five times. And the one time he does go the right way is when he gets that hand to the Ruben Vargas one. And it's just too much power behind it. So I feel bad for Hugo Lloris because either his prep wasn't maybe or like the coach's prep wasn't as good or the Swiss players were just very deceptive. But then the one time he does get a hand to it, he's not able to keep it out. And I have a feeling he will be... Uh, watching that back and not loving it. But it still, I think, speaks volumes about how well taken those all of those takes were from the Swiss. And this is why you have penalty diagrams, Taylor. You're darn right I do, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so Friday we're going to see the quarterfinal between Switzerland and Spain. Graham, I need the prediction, the times of the goals, uh, two, two and a half goals over and under. Anything that I can make some money on this, please? Um... Morata to I'm going to say Morata is going to go on a hot streak now. He's that sort of player, isn't he? I think he's going to fire Spain all the way to the semi-finals. <laughs> <laughs> Whether they meet either Belgium or Italy, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, uh, bold. Taylor, bold from Graham. Are you bold, with Taylor? Uh, I don't even know what is it again. Who's playing who? What's Who's happening? Who's going to win? Switzerland <laughs> and Spain. It's going to be a really good game. I'll say that much because because I think it will be another one where the Swiss are going to do what the Swiss do. And I think it will be Spain having to make adjustments. And as we've talked about several times in this tournament already, it's how you make those adjustments and how much you're punished for them. Because if you're the team that's changing what you want to do, you are sort of giving the momentum to the opposition a little bit just because they're not being forced to change up their approach. You are. And I think Spain will once again have to find ways to deal with what the Swiss are going to do, which is be very good defensively and then pretty fluid in their attacking play. I think limited limiting Briel Embolo will be important because I didn't think the power cube had a very strong game 
name today. Graham, thank mm. you for introducing me to that name for Jadon Shakiri. And yet, even with him not having the biggest impact, it still was a strong attacking performance from the Swiss. So I think it's going to be another back-and-forth game. That's my hope, at least. And I, I wouldn't rule the Swiss out at this point because we talked about them in our previews that they're a team that always feel like they should go further and then don't end up putting it together. And maybe this is the time when they do make a deeper run than, than certainly was expected. I guess they kind of already have. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling the Swiss right now. Why not? Okay. I, I was worried you were not refusing to jump off the fence that you've been sitting on there, Taylor, but you landed on Switzerland. Thank you very much for that. You, you, That's you definitely no a long- heart overhead sort of situation, I should add. Like, I haven't really analyzed that one. It's just more like, yeah, upsets. Let's keep it going. It's fun. Good. Well, you don't belong on a neutral palette. I will not tell your wife hello. Joe, your thoughts? <laughs> Spain, 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 Spain. Very good. We'll be right back. <laughs> This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, we are back. We have two round of 16 games left to play out on Tuesday. Let me see, who's starting the first one? Midday Eastern. England versus Germany. Graham, you must be thrilled about England's impending win. Uh, yes, and t- uh, totally thrilled. Um, today I heard about uh, Mason Mount's favourite Pixar films. and <laughs> He ranked them. Uh, Incredibles was no, number burn. one, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on! It's you know, Wally's the best Pixar film. No. is it not? Oh, Graham! Oh, Graham! Okay, we should move on because this is not going to end well. What was your favorite, Joe? <laughs> the Incredibles. Come on now. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> moving on from Pixar films, um, I am not looking forward to Gareth Southgate stinking up this tournament with whatever game plan he comes up with to completely spoil this match against Germany. Uh, but I have to admit, I have a little bit of a sinking feeling about the way that this tournament is panning out. I can't deny it any longer. It feels like things are falling into place for football, uh, dare I say it, to finally come home. He said but, it! Guys, he said it! Did you hear? He we'll said see, it to yourself, Graham. <laughs> we'll Graham, what have what you happened. done? Graham, what have you done? What has oh, happened to you? What has Ryan paid you? What does he have over you? What... Weird we'll thing did you it. do in a Russian hotel that Ryan has footage of that now you have to say <laughs> things like football's coming home? I mean, if I start the pain now, it, will, uh, it won't be quite so sharp if it happens later. Um, so I'm just kind of uh, stretching it out a little bit uh, I'm not, in anticipation man. of what might happen. I'm not going to lie. I'm that's feeling bad, double, guys. It's a double whammy, Graham, because I was still, honestly, the silence for me was trying to figure out which Pixar film I really do think is the best. And then to be confronted with you saying football's coming home, I want to take it a different direction instead, Graham. Have you seen Brave before? 
Brexit. I have, yes. Did they just like go with like let's just like throw in Braveheart mixed with all the other Scottish stereotypes and then make a movie out of it? Yeah, it's it's the the Scottish references aren't on that much on point. No, you're not all <laughs> redhead and you don't fight all the time about everything. But I do enjoy uh, Billy Connolly in it, but it yeah. does make me think how many of the other films. I mean, I love Coco, and I watched Luca the other day, and it, it you know it, it's not mm-hmm. top five or anything, but I enjoyed Luca, and it, and it, I loved the kind of Italian stuff in it. But it makes me think how much of that maybe they got they get wrong as well, <laughs> and how much of the Mexican stuff in Coco is also wrong. But I'll just ignore that. That's fair. Bliss. that's fair. Graham, you know a movie that's perfectly accurate in every way? The Incredibles. Darn it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's England, Germany. Let's move on to Sweden, Ukraine. Uh, no, uh, yeah, I, we, we, should, I, um, we should move on to Soul and Inside Out, which nobody's mentioned either of. That's a disgrace, by the way. I have, see, I have seen neither because... Oh, uh, Soul is good. Because and I also can't Inside remember, is also good. I just can't remember a world outside of the Euros. So that, that's where I am with things. Um, Ryan, here, here's my question. Mm-hmm. Like... Could, could could the English just take it down like twenty percent? Because like like a lot like uh, like men no American or very few Americans I should say are, are like you know like from here. There's like lots of different backgrounds, and so when I did my ancestry to figure out who I should be rooting for, I'm like sixty percent English, and I would love to root for England. But the coverage and the way that team is talked oh, about, coverage. it it makes it really really hard. To, to have them be the second team for me. So it's why I lean uh, Ireland and Scotland, even though they are a much smaller percentage. Is there any way that your media could just calm down? Because I think it's a, there are likable players on that team. There's a way that that team could be fun to talk about. And yet it ends up being, why is Raheem Sterling buying another house and, and that type of conversation? An American accusing the English of being insufferable. To quote Michael Scott, how the turntables. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Very interesting. I enjoyed that quote. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but to be sincere, uh, the answer's no, and here's why we're going to win tomorrow, uh, okay. Taylor. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think we're going to probably try and match this system a little bit, probably go back to the back three. I think someone like Trippier could come in, to, uh, so we'd have Trippier and probably mm-hmm. Reese James maybe on the other side to... Deal with those those German wing backs. It'll be Gozens. Maybe it won't be Gozens because he was he's got the flu, hasn't he? I believe so. We, he may not even play on the other side, but certainly I, I assume it'd be Kimmich on the other side uh, on Trippier's side there. I just think their defence can be got out. I think that if England were up against a team like Portugal or someone else who would be more inclined to sit low and not go for it, like this this team likes to, you know, the Germany ah, team likes low. to flood forward. They like to attack in numbers. Uh, so I think there's opportunities for England to hit them on the break. And if uh, if they give Harry, if everyone says Harry Kane can have a 10-yard head start, then we're fine. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about England that I, I actually don't like about England apart from everything is that um, they? <laughs> they um, I feel like I've got a better handle on the, on what sort of team Germany are over what sort of team England are, and and that includes Germany's faults and flaws. Like I feel like we know where they are as a team right now, whereas I I don't think we've got that with England. I, I, I feel like there's still an uncertainty over what happens if they fall a goal behind. What happens if they have to outgun Germany and actually have to score more than one goal? Is Southgate w- able and willing oh, to I'm take so the... I'm so tempted to say we outgunned them 60 years ago, but go on. <laughs> and you still but, did. Uh, <laughs> I still did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you still... <laughs> Went there. Yeah, good, good job on uh, stopping yourself from saying that there, Ryan. 
<laughs> Wait, but Graham, Graham, I, I wanted to ask you then because I, I am a little like I have a ton of question marks about both of these teams. What do you, why do you feel like you know Germany more? Because I feel like the three games that they've played so far, you, you've had they're they're going to struggle against a, a conservative team like France, who are going to kind of sit deep and and match up against their system. Then you have the Portugal game, where whereas you can overload an opposition team that doesn't match up against that system, and they can score goals. You know, scored four goals in that game. Yes, defensive vulnerabilities, but they can outgun a, a, an opponent there. And then the Hungary game, I'm not too sure what the lesson is from that one, other than they still have it within them to just get the job done, and. Where I, with England, I'm not sure I've got any of those uh, answers to those questions. Just because the group was, um, I mean, maybe looking at how Croatia and Czech Republic have done since that group, actually, maybe, maybe it was they were better results and performances than we gave them credit for at the time. But I, I, I still feel like I don't know a lot about this England team. Um, I would like to jump back and say uh, to slightly defend that nationalistic comment I just made there and mention that I do have a lot of German family. My dad was born in Germany and I still remember to this day after the Euro 96 final, uh, German relatives calling the house to basically rub it in my dad's face. So there you go. Are, are they all good friends with your invisible Slovakian friend? <laughs> they are indeed. More. I had a feeling. <laughs> uh, wait, Ryan, then a couple questions for you about England. Would yeah. you prefer to see them in a back four, back three, or are you not as focused on that? I'm not incredibly focused on it. I think whatever system works, I mean, obviously switching at this stage is uh, has its risks, as France uh, evidently found out uh, in this game today. But I think matching matching what Germany doing seems smart at this stage, and England are no strangers to a back three, obviously got us pretty far in the last tournament. So no, I'm not, I'm not particularly concerned, would, uh, concerned right. about the, uh, the formation. Would you, would you be in favour of Wayne Rooney's ploy that he huh. wrote in his Times column of three defensive midfielders for this game? It's what he suggested. Would you be in favour of that? Uh, one would be better. <laughs> <laughs> three, three seemed like overkill yeah, to me. Yeah, that's too too many, probably. That that feels like Wayne Rooney has not been watching this tournament and just assumed that Germany are this like unstoppable juggernaut that they sometimes tend to be in tournaments. And it's like just all the defensive midfielders yeah. and we'll be fine. Three, three defensive midfielders, and then he said Rashford up top to get on the on the end of uh, long balls. Good luck, Derby fans. Wow. <laughs> I, I think Wayne Rooney just thinks England is DC United. I think he's just wow. stuck, you know? Oh. <laughs> uh, but actually, with with that that point in mind about Rashford, like, Ryan, the, the I mean, this isn't a, a, a leading question, debating question, I promise, but at this point, the other big question mark I have is, like, I don't know what Harry Kane is best at because there was that time when it just, like, he kept finding a way to score, and I would have put him... In roughly in the Robert Lewandowski category of not particularly fleet of foot, but always seems to be in the right place and is very good at making things happen. And that seems to be less so the case these days. I think a lot of that is the way the season went for Tottenham. But like mm. for you, if people are, let's say they've been in a vacuum and now they're going to watch this game. This is their first one of the tournament. They've heard the name Harry Kane. What would you say are like the strengths that they should be looking for right now? Strengths. Hmm. Well, <laughs> aside from I, giant forehead. I mean, yeah. He, 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 let's be fair to him. In the last game, he did get into some decent positions. He had a few scoring opportunities, mm-hmm. but obviously, aerial strength is is a big a big thing for him. Mm. Uh, so, so if we do get some set pieces going, and you know, uh, that's another reason to get Kieran Trippier back in the mix. By the way, because n- is it still no direct free kicks in this tournament have been scored so far? So there might be some opportunity there. But as for Harry Kane, I don't I don't know Taylor. I just. I feel, I'm, I'm would quite, you, I'm Ryan, quite... would you want him to drop deep or do you want him to kind of 
stay further forward because he some some people like it when he drops deep drops deep and others seem to really dislike that i think i like him being part of the build up and spraying it to faster players yeah to be honest because that's that's more conducive to what he is now do you not think graham yeah, I think. I mean, I think so. I just, I think sometimes it's it's obviously um, you know two things can be can be correct yeah. as we said before in this podcast. And sometimes I feel like he, he things goes, can be two things. Oh, Graham, say it right things. or don't say it at all. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry. I knew I was messing it up as I was saying that. <laughs> it almost felt deliberate. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> there are anyway, instances yeah. in which a variety of things can be simultaneously the same but different. That's what I meant to say. There yeah. we go. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, sometimes it feels like he does it a little bit too often, and 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 um, yeah, I'd, sometimes I want him to be more of a, an apex, more of an outlet. Sometimes I want him not to start. Graham is is my honest answer there because I'd <laughs> rather see someone like Calvert Lewin given a chance up top because I just I didn't think he was that effective in 2018, despite all the goals he got, and I don't think he's been terribly effective in this tournament either. But why don't we park that game, England Germany, which is 12 Eastern tomorrow, and we've saved Joe the best till last of these round of 16s, haven't we? Sweden against oh, Ukraine, yes. just down the road from Graham at Hampden Park. How much are you champing at the bit to see a little bit of Sweden? Oh, I'm so ready. I, what, do I, Taylor, we got 20 minutes? Yeah, tight 20 on this? Yeah, yeah. yeah I, uh, if you hear what sounds like me sleeping in the background, it, it's just me <laughs> doing uh, like fully work, and it's definitely not me having fallen asleep. Go as, long, Go as long as you need, Joe, as long as you need. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think this game, it's, it's fun to make fun of it, right? We can poke fun at it. I do think this game has a lot of the pieces that might come together and, and make for a pretty dull game because Sweden, that's their brand. I thought you were going to say it. I know, me too. Game. No, 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 twist no not at all. No, not, not in any way. Uh, Ukraine, Ukraine is a fun team. I thought you were sleeping, Taylor. Come on. Um, you, Ukraine is a fun team. Love it. They'll most likely be in a 4-3-3, and they play this expansive soccer. Now, their last group stage game against Austria was abysmal. They were very, very poor in that game. They didn't find the space between Austria's lines. They weren't sharp on the ball, and they weren't particularly sharp defensively either. But their first group stage games were a lot better, the, the opening two games for them in this tournament. They've shown the ability to use the ball well in moments to break through a block, and that's exactly what Sweden are going to present them with. They're 4-4-2. Hopefully, we'll see Isak and, and Forsberg and Kulishevsky get at least a stretch of minutes together, because I think that's one way this game does turn into something fun. But the pretty obvious pattern, as I see it, is Ukraine on the ball, struggling to break through Sweden's block, Sweden absorbing pressure, counterattacking, having mixed success with that. And it does kind of have the recipe, as far as I'm reading it, to be a pretty low-scoring game slash extra time guaranteed. All right, celebrations. Um, I <laughs> I don't have a huge uh, opinion on this game. I do think uh, the winner of England, Germany, will play the winner of this game. And uh, if, I were, if I were an England fan, which I very much am, I'd probably rather face Ukraine because I feel like Sweden be a more dangerous team for England to face for reasons I've outlaid earlier. Anybody for any more on this game? Taylor? Yeah, I, yeah, I can say I woke up. I woke back up. So I am, I am happy to be wrong about this. And if I am, I will apologize tomorrow. I have a feeling this is a Sweden comprehensive, if not like from the goal scoring perspective, but just a like one or two no win for Sweden that is is pretty comfortable. Because if you look at what Ukraine have done so far, 
they get the two goals against the Dutch in a 3-2 loss, but the a lot of the conversation there was around the amount of space that the Dutch left wide open for Ukraine to attack. Then they have the 2-1 win over North Macedonia. They lose 1-0 to Austria. And I just, I don't think that they have proven to me that against a team that is very disciplined and going to make your life very hard to find goal scoring opportunities, they can find a way through. They very well could prove me wrong, but this does seem like the the Swedes are going to do what they've done, which is two banks of four. They'll have some good attackers at various moments, do good attacking things in various forms, and I think they will be able to, to get the win here. I also think that there's a chance that Sweden is maybe the opponent Ryan does not want to play for, like, not even historic reasons. I just think of Sweden as constantly causing England problems, so I mm-hmm. guess maybe historic reasons, but... If it's Sweden versus England, I I would have some concerns if I were Ryan Bailey. Graham, concerns, thoughts, interests? I know know people who have got tickets for this game tomorrow at Hamden, and due to the COVID rules in in Scotland, they're having to turn up three hours early to their game. Oh, God. um, Which, when it's (laughs) Sweden-Ukraine, it wouldn't surprise me if there are even more empty seats than the actual allocation tomorrow. For this one, not only do they have to turn up so early, there's no refreshment options at the game. Uh, bottles of water will be handed out. So it's not quite uh, the American sporting experience where you can get a you know, a burger wrapped in a pizza for uh, $10 or whatever. But um, <laughs> That's like $45. Nice try. <laughs> okay, sorry. I, I bought nachos at, at uh, what game was that? It was... Uh, New York Jets game <laughs> and oh, uh, I bought nachos <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I bought nachos and it was just uh, cheese sauce and a bag of chips that was the nachos and yeah, authentic Mexican food you're welcome Graham authentic Mexican <laughs> it was dreadful almost as bad as the Jets oh dear well Graham I feel sorry for those Scottish fans who have to go a minimum of five hours without drinking then because that that's not something you guys do right yeah, I mean, at most, you know, 20 minutes yeah. between drinks. That's what I thought. National recommended uh, right. daily allowance. <laughs> I'm going to have a go. I'm going to have a go here. Here's what I'm going to say. I think Sweden will be what we've seen from them, which is capable of, of playing attacking football if they want to. But I think they're going to be two banks of four defensive. And I think there's... And there genuinely is, I'm not just saying this from like a soccer hipster trying to find the silver lining standpoint, there is, it is interesting to watch a team that is that disciplined play as a unit. And I would say for people who are watching, looking for interesting things, seeing an entire back line take the exact same step at the exact same moment shows you that discipline, shows you how well drilled they are. And you will see that from this Sweden team. But I think for for Ukraine, we have also seen them rotate through the middle they've had Zinchenko on the left they've had him central they've had him on the right side of central midfield sometimes they've played him out wide and I think Yaremchek his movement can cause problems Yarmolenko cutting inside everybody always knows he's going to do that and yet he still somehow manages to do it every single game so I think what will be really interesting for me is is Sweden being the sort of disciplined defensive team we would expect and then seeing Ukraine try to kind of probe and find ways through and have some kind of dedicated patterns and rotations that they think might be able to do that. So I would say the opening 15 to 20 minutes will tell us a lot about how this game is going to go. Taylor, at the risk you continue talking about this game, I'm going to end it here. So thank you very much for your time. (laughs) Uh, My my pleasure, my friend. And uh, one more time, England, just tone it down a little bit. Okay. Suggestion noted. Thank you very much. Joe, thank you very much, sir. You got it, Ryan. And Graham, 
we love you. We appreciate you. You bring uh, joy to no. our lives. <laughs> no, no. You're so important to us. If you were here, I'd give you a big hug. Uh, okay, thanks, Ryan. <laughs>